Welcome to The Other Side of Darkness, an episodic Seinfeld parody story that follows Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer on a dark and mysterious journey inspired by the work of David Lynch. The Other Side of Darkness is produced by Signpeaks. I'm Jesse, also known as Signpeaks, your host and narrator. You're listening to phase one of this podcast, in which I'll be speaking with cast and crew members from Seinfeld, sharing their stories and memories from the show. Phase two, the series itself, begins this fall. The Other Side of Darkness is brought to you in part by Daily Dale Cooper, your daily source for Twin Peaks fan content, photos, and artwork, on Instagram at Daily Dale Cooper. In this episode, I'm speaking with Kyle T. Hefner, who played Gene in the season eight episode, The Bizarro Jerry. Kyle's had a long, successful career as an actor in film and television and had a lot of great stories to share, including working with the legendary Gary Marshall and his appearance on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I had a lot of fun talking to Kyle, and I think you'll really enjoy this interview. So without further ado, here's Kyle T. Hefner. Kyle, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? Hey, well, thanks for having me, Jesse. I am just terrific. Thanks. Awesome. Okay, so to get started, I want to get to know you a little bit better. If you can take me back to the beginning, how did you get into acting? How did you get this career started? Well, uh, I was a young boy, and I, I think I was doing impressions. I was just trying to make people laugh. And, um, and then one day I was sitting, uh, I was watching a baseball game with my grandfather, and I was probably in a dour mood. You know, I'm like 10 years old. And I'm really mad. And my grandfather leaves the room and he comes back in. I don't really look at him. And then I look around and he's sitting there wearing these. Kyle is wearing prop glasses with an oversized fake nose. (laughs) (laughs) And I just laughed and it totally changed my uh, approach to the day. And I thought, wow, comedy is great. Um, It made me laugh. And um, my Mother thought, well, you know, he's kind of, he seems dramatic. He's acting. He's trying to make us laugh. Let me find uh, a children's theater for him. So there was a place called the Jack and Jill Players in Chicago, a children's theater of which it boasts several illustrious alums. Mel Torme was a player probably back in the 40s or 50s. The Velvet Fog. And at the time was the oldest children's theater in the United States. And Dick York actually was a um was a an alum uh wow. from Rich. yes and I, I i saw mel torme i went to see woody allen play at michael's pub one morning one monday and uh, mel torme was sitting at the bar and i started to say something but i i didn't say <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so i started so i joined this children's theater at like 11 years old and it really became a haven for me. And I just started doing tons of plays and stuff. And then from that, people would call there for kids, right? If they needed kids, this was in Chicago. So from that, I went and I was a supernumerary for the Lyric Opera. I did five operas um, over the course of three years there. As a supernumerary, um, you don't sing, but you're like the choir boy or the uh, the acolyte or the kid who comes out with the candelabra before the baritone comes out and you know, so you light his way, like things like that. One time I was in the children's chorus in a opera called Billy Bud, and it wasn't because I sang, it was because we had to make a sound because we were powder monkeys on the ship. 
right? So whenever we entered, we entered with this sound. So for that, I was in the children's clothes. Wow. And then from there, um, you know, I got an agent in Chicago and got my SAG card on a um, public service announcement for the Chicago Police Department. So I made 150 bucks in one day and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. No kidding. Yeah. So it kind of started there and, you know, I did, I don't know, 30, 40 plays there. And then uh, I, I met a guy there named Rico Walker. We were, we're still very close friends and we would entertain kind of at parties. And these girls we knew were dating these comedians that were big at the time in Chicago, Brian and Severa. And they were like, you know, you guys are funny. You should do comedy. So we put an act together and um, we debuted at a place called the Pickle Barrel in Chicago in Old Town. And we were introduced for the very first time by Tom Dreesen there. And we became regulars at all the Chicago clubs. Um, we were actually there, I think, when Emo Phillips made oh, his debut yes at a place called the comedy womb where comedians are born in lyons illinois so it started there and then i i it's what i was it's what i became and so then i went to college and got a degree in theater and did a bunch of plays there and was doing comedy and improv and all of that that's kind of and then i my senior year in college i had done a bunch of stuff by senior year i was an arrogant you know, college senior. I thought I'd been there, done it all, seen it all. And uh, I went to a school called Northwestern University and Gary Marshall, who uh, we recently lost, came back to do a series of seminars. And at the time he had five television shows on the air. So, you know, Laverne and Shirley, Mark and Mindy, Happy Days, Odd Couple, and another. So um, maybe Joni Loves Chachi. Anyway, we did a special improv comedy show for him. Uh, there was a show... I did in college called the Meow Show, which was an improv comedy show. We would develop the sketches through improv and set the sketches and then do the show. So I had done this show for three years, directed it the third year. So we did a best of highlights just for Gary. And then I had just done uh, the lead in a video film for our new, at the time, uh, television studio. And I was the lead in that. And my professor had shown it to Gary or pieces of it. And so I was going through the student union one day, I was walking through and I ran into this professor, um, I got another guy we just lost, uh, Dr. Costelli. And he said, Kyle, um, listen, I've shown your stuff to Gary and uh, he'd really like to talk to you. And I, I said, oh, wow, cool. Uh, they're interviewing him at the TV station tonight. Why don't you go over and say hi? So I'm like, oh, okay. So I go over there. And it's like six students deep, encircling him, waving scripts, you know, Gary, Gary. And I walked in and I was like, I'm not going to wait in line for this guy. I don't even know this guy. I'm not going to wait in a friggin' line. So I left. I walked outside and I was talking to some friends on the stairs. And all of a sudden I felt this tap on the shoulder. And I turned around and it was Gary. He said, hello, Kyle, Gary Marshall, listen, I've seen things funny. If you move to Los Angeles, call, we'll sit, we'll talk, we'll do. And I said, well, Gary, as a matter of fact, I'm moving there in the fall. He said, well, call, we'll sit, we'll talk, we'll do. And, I, and so I moved to Los Angeles after working three jobs for three months 
to save up some money to move here. And I finally got an audience with Gary. And I was told that he liked milkshakes. So before I went to the meeting, I went to a place, a diner or something. I got two really great milkshakes. I got a chocolate and a vanilla. And I walk in with this little bag like this. I got a little paper bag. And I walk in, you know, to his immense office. And he goes, what's in the bag? And I said, I heard you like milkshakes, chocolate or the vanilla. I'll have the chocolate. So then we sat and uh, drank our milkshakes for an hour. And from that meeting, he opened up his office at Paramount to me. I could go there anytime I wanted. I could call, show up. Even if he wasn't there, I could hang out. I could talk to his staff. I could see any of his shows taped. Whenever I would go to one of his shows, Mork and Mindy, I went to countless times, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, they would tape a seat off for me with my name on it. I, very privileged. I, I am forever grateful to Mr. Marshall. And um, I could see all the shows, meet everybody. And then from there, when he decided to direct his first feature film, a friend, another friend of mine from college, he hires a lot of Northwestern people. He always did. And in all of his shows and movies, there was always a reference to Northwestern. A pennant, if you go through any of them, there is a sweatshirt, a pennant, something, because he was so grateful for his education at Northwestern. So a friend of mine was working for him, and I ran into her, and she said, you know, Gary's casting this movie. It's got a lot of people in it. You know, you should send him your stuff. And I did, and I auditioned, and I got 10 weeks of work on his first feature film called Young Doctors in Love, which had everybody in it. And from there, uh, the producer was Jerry Bruckheimer. So then that led, Jerry knew me from Young Doctors in Love, and he brought me in to read for Flashdance. And, um, you know, game over. That really helped a lot of things. Yeah, I bet it did. That's uh, that's really incredible. I'm kind of like marveling at that, like having access to someone as big and prolific as, uh, as Gary Marshall. And it What's kind of interesting is that there's a there's a connection to the guest spot that I invited you on here uh, because Gary Marshall, of course, in 1990 would direct Pretty Woman, which would uh, feature Jason Alexander, whom you played a uh, an alternate reality version of. I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um, so I, I would love to jump into that. We're going to kind of jump up to 1996 here. One thing that I have heard from a lot of people who have had guest spots on Seinfeld is that the bot that they finally got was not the first time that they auditioned for a role on the show that it was you know they audition we like you but not for this come back come back come back was this kind of like that or was you just you got in there and got the role uh how did you go about getting this uh getting this character well this was my very first audition for seinfeld i really felt that i probably would never do it because of my very slight resemblance to Mr. Alexander. And so, <laughs> so I, um, I didn't think I would ever work on it. And I, oddly enough, I, not too long before this, a friend of mine um, died, a pretty famous comedian at the time, Dennis Wolfberg. And Dennis was with George Shapiro, who's one of the producers of Seinfeld. And I went to the memorial, the funeral and the memorial and the reception. And Jerry was across the food table from me. And I wonder if the seed of the idea, I don't know, but 
the seed of the idea may have come to him then as I'm standing there across from him fighting over the pastrami. I mean, I... <laughs> you can't make that up. No, no. Um, so I, I went in and I think there were... A, I, I was wondering if there were a bunch of Jason and Alexander lookalikes there. I don't know. I don't know what, how I auditioned. They were all there. I was called directly into the producers meeting. I mean, George Shapiro was there, you know, Andy Ackerman, Jerry, and then I got it. Um, uh, surprisingly, um, I thought, okay, great. I got a gig on Seinfeld, which is fantastic because it's one of the, it may be the funniest show ever ever produced. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, had you followed the show up to that point? Um, I mean, in 1996, it's probably hard to avoid, uh, you know, being at least a little aware of it. Were you a regular watcher or, or not? Yes. No, I was a regular watcher. I thought it was hysterical. I actually had come, visited Los Angeles probably in the 70s sometime and with my parents. And they knew I was heading in this comedy direction. And I was doing stand-up at the time. And we went to the improv. And that night, I saw... Jerry, uh, Jerry Seinfeld. I saw um, Jay Leno. I saw um, Gary Muldeer. And I saw Andy Kaufman. And I, I remember just thinking, Jerry, I didn't know who he was, you know. I just remember thinking he was absolutely brilliant. And so it's just odd. You flash forward, and there I am in a room with him. And there were probably a bunch of semi-Jason Alexander-looking type guys there. <laughs> but I, I don't know, for some reason, whatever I did in the room spoke to them, and they decided to give me the job. I love that. That's uh, the Bizarro Jerry, the episode that you were in. It's one of my favorite episodes. I was maybe seven years old when it aired, and I don't oh remember God. if I actually saw it live. Yeah, I'm a baby. Um, or if I watched it in syndication, you know, on TBS or something. But I think what really made that episode is the th three guys that they put as the opposites of Jerry, George, and Kramer. Uh, you, of course, Tim Decay uh, as Kevin, and uh, Pat Kilbane as, uh, I want to say his name was Feldman. I don't particularly remember. Yes, I believe um, yeah. yeah, but you were in good company. You had a cast of, uh, I mean, two really talented, funny guys that I liked. Yes. Um, and what I liked about it was you guys, I mean, you had maybe three scenes together, three or four scenes, and within those scenes i mean i bought that the three of you had been friends forever and that you had your own running jokes and stuff the same way jerry george and kramer did so i want to hear kind of the behind the scenes of what the production was like what was it like working with them with julia louis dreyfus uh the scene that you had with uh the full cast uh i mean just just give me all you got i'm very interested in well it was, it was fascinating because i showed up on the set and um Julie and I went to the same college. Uh, she's a bit younger, but she did marry um, Brad Hall, who was my classmate. And um, so I got to know her a bit. I mean, I, I knew Julia and we'd see her at social things. And um, so I remember I, I was on the set and Julia walks back, you know, it's like the first day, you know, it's, we haven't really started anything. And I go, hey, Julia. And she goes, oh my God, Kyle, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> And I said, I'm, I'm guesting. I'm the bizarro George. She's like, get out. No, she didn't do that. <laughs> but it was just very funny to see her like that. And um, it, was, it was very interesting because these guys, Jerry and Andy Ackerman, they know comedy. 
like th this was the year uh, Larry David had left. He was right there. But they know comedy like better than anybody. I mean, and there was one scene we pre-shot all of our stuff, by the way. We didn't do ours live. I think it was set constraints. They had they couldn't move the set around like that. So all of our stuff was pre-taped. There was one scene in the um, the restaurant scene, um, I think where I offered to pay. I think I pay the check or something yeah. like that. And um, but I I was trying something different. OK, with Gene and it wasn't working. It didn't work. And I was this close to being fired. I was like this close. And the mistake I made, which wasn't funny, because I, I was trying to do something anti George. Right. So in my mind, I started giving you didn't see this on screen because it was only in re the rehearsal that almost ended my life on Seinfeld. Um, I started giving her very subtly. I started giving her sexual energy and it was a total, total, total mistake. It was a total mistake. So I'm sitting there. Everybody else has left. Andy and Jerry are sitting there going, it's not working. It's I don't know what's wrong. I don't know. I mean, when Jeremy, Jeremy Piven did it, I mean, he was funny. I don't know. This isn't funny. I don't know what. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm breaking out into a cold sweat. I don't know what's going to happen. And um, I made a pivot with the character and he became what you saw. But I had to pivot quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I made a very, but they know comedy and I trusted them implicitly because they're both absolutely brilliant. And I, and I knew I'd made an error and I had to see the error of my ways quickly, Jesse. The other guys, uh, we got along really well. I mean, we were all just totally stoked to be there, having a great time. I had worked with um, Kramer before. Michael Richards was in Young Doctors in Love. Mm -hmm. And I had also done a pilot with Michael. Oh. And I'd also done, I, I don't know if it was before that, I also did a, a Pepsi commercial with Michael Richards, Cindy Crawford, and Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, my God. I got to look this up. Yeah, crazy. So it was kind of comfy. I mean, I knew Julia, but it was um, it was business. I mean, comedy, you always hear from everyone, right, Jesse? Comedy is serious business. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we just had to get the moments right, you know, and somehow it worked out. Yeah. It was very fun. It was incredibly fun. Incredibly fun week. Once I made that pivot. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God you did. I did, right? Wow, wow. Um, and I've actually have heard that before. Uh, the experience of working on that show is that it's it is fun. There's positive energy, but it is it's like Jerry, especially at the end, ran a tight ship. It's like we right. know what works. We're gonna get it. We're gonna get it in, and then on to the next one because we've got a lot of good stuff we need to get to. Right. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. They uh, what does surprise me that. That's pretty hilarious having to kind of drop that, uh, which I think actually, I mean, conceptually speaking, you know, turning Bizarro George into some sort of Lothario that has this effect on Elaine, I think would be pretty hilarious. <laughs> but <laughs> but, I, but I'm glad that you took the notes and took the cues and uh, and we have what we have today, which is, I mean, definitely one of my top 10 episodes out of all uh, 180 of them. Oh, great. Yeah, mine too. And I talk to a lot of fans, uh, which it's like it ranks high up there for them. And I think it's one of the most sort of referenced. I'm my sort of stratosphere of Internet fandom. They're big on making memes 
and you know jokes upon jokes upon jokes upon their favorite shows and i think that episode is one of the the most frequent because there's so much physical comedy and sight gags going on right and um, man hands the b story is hysterical yes that was fun i was watching that to being taped and the guy with those great big meaty hands reaching around her you know pulling that lobster apart was just hysterical yeah do you happen to know who that was because as far as i know that's kind of a mystery he wasn't credited it was a guy with big friggin' hands. I, I don't I, I mean his hands, I mean, I don't know. Did they did they have like a casting session for beefy hands? We need like guys with really beefy hands and they just come in and they go like this and they go next, you know, and they, another guy comes in, you know, I don't know. But I don't know. He was a, a nice guy, he was like a big football player looking. Like, like he'd spent a lot of years on the rugby team at Stanford or something. I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah. What's that episode? There are so many different things going on that I forget they're all in the same episode. I forgot Manhands for a second was the same episode that you were in. Uh, There's also the episode where Jace, uh, where George gets into a, a great nightclub full of beautiful women and then can't get back in. And uh, there, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot going on. And of course, Kramer gets the job and, uh, you know, becomes a businessman. Um, so a lot yes. of good stuff there. I'm working hard here. Yes, great. <laughs> it is. Um, so in the years since, um, is this is it one of the roles that you get recognized for that you get approached about? Uh, do you get you know fans coming up to you calling you Gene? Anything like that? No, in fact, no, no. I, I mean, if I tell people, they'll go, "Oh my God, that's right, that was you." But not offhand. I mean, I think. The character, you know, of course, I was acting. And mm-hmm. so that's not totally what I'm like all the time. So I don't really get that very often. If I tell people, I even ran into Jason Alexander at a play in the audience. I went up and I said, you know, he's much bigger to me than I am to him. So but I went <laughs> and I went up and I said, uh, Jason, hi. Um, I just wanted to say hi. I played Bizarro George. And he looked at me for a second, quizzically, trying to figure it out a little bit. And he was like, really? (laughs) So I I don't even think he like recognized me immediately. Um, But he was very nice. We had a a lovely chat and uh, all of that. But um, no, if I tell people, they get very excited. Yeah, yeah, I would assume. It's like a different age range for different things people would recognize me for. You know, if they say you're an actor, they go, well, what have you, have I seen you in anything? I don't know, maybe, and depending on what age range they are, I would either say, you know, Seinfeld or something. You know? Right. And I'm guessing part of the reason that you don't get recognized is because some work went into making you look the way that you did with the clothes and the glasses and everything. Uh, I'll be speaking to... Um, the set dresser, Stephanie Kennedy, uh, in oh, one cool. of my future interviews and uh, I'm the suits and everything. I, I think that it seemed it was all very intentional, kind of making you look like a mirrored version of George Costanza, but like a neater version of him who maybe took better care of himself than George did. Right. And, yeah. A guy who read and was literate and yeah. ate healthily. Exactly. You know, yes. So, uh, Kyle, I also wanted to ask you uh, about your guest spot on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, A lot of the folks uh, that I know who are fans of Seinfeld are also fans of Curb. And what was surprising to me was you got a guest spot on Curb, like a lot of Seinfeld guest stars did, uh, except you weren't in the season of Seinfeld that Larry David was involved in. So what I'm interested in knowing is 
did you get that through any Seinfeld connections or was that just another role, just another audition that you won? Well, uh, it's a funny story. You know, Hollywood is a weird place. And um, my son was went to the same preschool as Larry Charles kid. Oh. And so we were at a kid's birthday party and it was kind of a, you know, park, like kind of in the hills. So it was kind of a, you know, we're hiking and going through the trees and Larry Charles was the coolest dad there. So I kind of sidled up to him and we're hiking and trudging around with, you know, three-year-old children. And we start talking about what we did. And I mean, I know who he was, I knew who he was. And he asked me what I did. I said, I'm an actor. You know, I'd done Seinfeld and everything. He said, well, would you like to do a curb? Oh. And I said, I'd love to do a curb. And um, they brought me in to read and to audition. And I got it. It happened uh, at a preschool birthday party. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. And again, a classic episode, in my opinion, of Curb. I'm not as familiar with Curb as I am with Seinfeld, but it's it, it, as far as I can tell, it's a pretty famous episode. Um, are you familiar with the uh, the case? There was a documentary about this where a man was an extra in that episode uh, at the Dodgers game and went on trial for a murder he didn't commit. And his lawyer was able to get to Larry and the crew of Curb Your Enthusiasm and get the, the tapes, the dailies, and prove that he was there. Oh, you're kidding. I wasn't aware of that. This It's a great little 30-minute documentary on Netflix. Um, I can't yeah. remember the name of it, but if you Google, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm murder case, something like that, it'll be right. one of the top results. It's really, really interesting. Um, but, you know, of course, it was at that big, it was a chaotic scene, um, you know, where right. they're filming at an actual Braves Dodgers game. And yeah, the guy just happened to be in, in the background with his uh, girlfriend, wow. uh, with his daughter. He, and he actually was not an extra. I, I'm wrong about that. He was just at that game and happened right. to be caught on camera. But it, it, yeah, it, but all in all, it's a great, it's a fantastic episode. I just rewatched it yesterday morning and uh, and laughed the whole time. And the how everything kind of comes together at the very end of the episode with your uh, scene and then him going yes. to the courtroom. It's just, it's so much fun. What was that like? It was a very interesting way to work because you don't really work with the script, as you're probably aware. Yeah. And so they have a Bible for every episode and it's substantial. It's it's quite a tome. And so they basically kind of told me what to say and when to say it. I mean, it was very simple. It was just that. And then we just kind of did that a couple of times and... Um, and that was really all. Um, it was very fun. Uh, Larry was great. Again, another comic genius and um, really fun. And I got to know Kim pretty well there, who's amazing, having a wonderful career. It, yeah, it was great. Uh, easy, easy. Yeah. That makes me really happy. I did go up to Larry. I Larry was standing around and he looked really tense. Uh, you wouldn't have guessed that, but he was upset about something, which I think it had to do with scheduling or something with the show. So I went up and I said, Larry, um, can I ask you a question? He's like, yeah, what? I said, how do you like the Prius? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh, I love the Prius. Oh, I love it. And he was so relieved and we had a big laugh about it. And so I've, I'm on my second Prius right now. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think that the scene you were in, I believe... The late Bob Einstein was in that scene as well. Is that right? That's correct. How was he to work with? He was great. He was on fire. I mean, he energetic. Um, 
you know, everybody was on point. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. no, there were no laggards. Everybody was on point and got their stuff done. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, really fun. Easy. And, yeah. you know, Larry is guiding the ship. And I don't think Larry Charles directed that episode. I don't think so. I don't recall. No, I don't think so. But he was around because he was one of the producers. So, yeah, it was just everybody did their job and did it well, did it effectively. And again, who, I mean, I thought it was all really funny and uh, all, but again, just like the Seinfeld, who knew it was going to be one of the um, one of the big ones. Yeah. Uh, was there anything that you shot in that episode that didn't make it in or did what what we see is that uh, what uh, you guys shot? Yes, you, you saw everything that was shot. The only kind of funny story is that I kind of gotten to know Kim, right? So Kim Whitley, you're aware she played the prostitute. Yeah. And um, who's a lovely woman. She doesn't want to know. She's like the child of architects. Anyway, I, you don't want to know. But anyway, she, when she comes in and recognizes Larry, mm-hmm. right, she threw in an improvised line. Oh, hi, Kyle. <laughs> Larry was like, cut, cut, cut. What are you doing? Well, I was just intimating that Kyle was a client, too. Oh, and- <laughs> And Larry said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do it that we're not going to, we're not going to do that. Just, just stay. And he's right. I mean, that, that would, that changes focus. Yeah. He knows what he's yeah. doing, but it was just funny. And it was funny when Kim did it because it was like roll camera. And then she just improvised it, which was real, which was really funny. So that, that did not make it into the final cut. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I got to appreciate Larry David's instincts there uh, because, I mean, it is a very funny joke. And I love also giving names to characters who don't, by nature of the script, have names. Uh, but I also get the concept of you can put too many jokes into a scene and then throw off the the pace, you know, that, that delivers the punchline. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But uh, but that's that's really good to know that that was thrown in there. That That made me laugh. Yeah, it was very funny. Okay, so Kyle, take take me up to today now. Um, you know, taking a look at just your profile on IMDb, you've been a pretty busy guy consistently, and there's a couple of stuff. There's you, you got something coming out this year, and uh, had a project come out in 2020, from what I can tell. Um, what are you up to these days, and how's the pandemic treating you? Oh, the pandemic's been great. Um, my forehand is like really amazing. I've been playing tennis all year because it's a good pandemic sport. Uh, You know, I have a hand sanitizer on the court. Mm -hmm. The only time you're really touching anyone is the touching the ball. You know what I mean? You're touching the ball. So now we're all vaccinated. So it's cool. But prior to that, we hand sanitized and did all that and stayed away from each other. So, but I was able to get a lot of exercise and playing tennis, you know, three or four times a week. So that's really what I've been doing. And, um, a lot of uh, self-tape auditions. That's what's been going on is self-taping and, you know, looking forward to, you know, another job. So that's basically what I've been doing is, in you know, hanging out in my garage with my backdrop and my ring light and um, my cell phone and shooting auditions. And then putting my friend Zoom with me and they, they read with me on Zoom, you know, so I have someone to read with. So that's that's what's been going on before. Just before the um, pandemic ended, uh, started, I was doing a play called um, Mistakes Were Made at the Santa Monica Playhouse. And oddly enough, that was written by Jerry Mayer, 
who was one of the writer producers on Facts of Life. And I worked with Jerry on Facts of Life. That was my first sitcom job was on Facts of Life. It was an episode called Let's Party where Tootie's brother and a couple of his friends come and take the girls to a um, college party and we all get drunk. And um, the highlight of that episode is me belching in Mindy Cohn's face. That was um, something I had to do. And I think I got the job because I could belch on command. Wow. But Jerry was the, the writer of that episode and a producer. And then I end up, flash forward all of these years, being in one of his plays, which we were in a great run. And I was also hosting a stand-up comedy night at a restaurant in my neighborhood in Culver City here in California. And I was doing a, almost an open mic. It was kind of a book show. And I brought my friends in to do stand-up, you know, the usual kind of open mic night. But I was, I was really trying to, Arsenio Hall is an old friend of mine. And I knew he was prepping to do his Netflix special. And I was, I was, I think, I think I was really close to getting him to come in and work out there. And I was also working on another friend of mine, Bill Ingall, to come in. Our kids went to elementary school together, you know. Okay. That's how I know Bill. So I was this close to getting them in there, but that ended because we weren't selling enough drinks. And then I was doing the play and then the pandemic hit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, you know, I try to stay busy. And um, even if I'm not working on camera, I'm doing a play or I'm doing stand-up comedy or um, something like that. Because it's... You, you realize, Jesse, after a while, you go, well, should I do something else? What am I? It's slow. Should I sell antiques or sell Teslas? I, I, and then you realize, no, this is what I this is what I do. You know, this is who I am. So I, I stay busy doing something or I'm writing um, something, something creative. Right. Yeah. And when my kids were, you know, I was taking them to swim practice and playing catch with my son and taking him to pole vaulting lessons at UCLA, you know, all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing that I've noticed uh, in the pandemic. I'm a father of a three-year-old. Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's 2020, you had to put a lot of things on hold and there's a lot of, you know, anxiety and and stress and and fear and, and, you know, who knows what else, but the trade-off that I found as a parent is all that extra time that you get with the kids, Yes. you know, and actually doing some bonding that you might not have gotten otherwise. Uh, I mean, I'm really lucky in that my kid was this young when that happened. So I didn't have to explain much to him other than, okay, buddy, when we go to the supermarket, we're wearing a mask, you know, and I don't have to go into the science of why. Right. But uh, yeah, that was uh, one of the one of the blessings, I guess you could say, as uh, getting that a little extra family time in there. Yes, it was. It was good. I, I found that we developed an ease being around each other. My daughter's married and lives with her husband. Um, and I'm about to be a grandfather, actually. Congratulations. Thank you very much in June. But we did do Christmas up in the mountains at Lake Arrowhead. My sister and her husband came and and um, we were just able to take a deep breath and just be with each other and uh, affect this kind of profound relaxation, which I don't think we'd found before. Because you're like hectic. You're like, oh, we're together. Let's we're together now. Let's be together. You know, OK, we're apart. We're together. You know, mm-hmm. but I, I have a much deeper feeling of comfort around everyone now. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I totally, I 
totally know where you're coming from. Um, okay, so Kyle, one question that I wanted to throw in here, and I kind of wanted to shoehorn it in because uh, the the fans of this podcast and of the page I run, they're about a 50-50 split that are either fans of Seinfeld or fans of uh, the million different David Lynch projects. Uh, and it's a weird mix, but it just works. Are you a David Lynch fan? Do you have any favorite movies or, or stories of, you know, that world? I'm a very, very big fan. And I do have a story kind of David Lynchian mm -hmm. by proxy. Okay. So it's, it's around the corner. It's a bizarro David Lynch story. Okay. All right. I'm on board. Okay. I did a pilot with Tim Matheson called Nikki and Alexander. Very funny. It didn't sell, but we had a great, we had a great time. And um, I, Tim and I became friends. And one day I went to his office and I came in the side door. He had kind of a big office and then an outer office where his assistants were, and um, I came in the, the room, the door directly into his office. So when I came in, and Tim and I were going to joke around for a little bit, he told his staff, listen, could you give me a half an hour and don't disturb me? I'm in a meeting with my actor friend, Kyle. Click. So we start talking, and all of a sudden, all the female assistants rush into the room. Like, oh, Tim, we need to do Tim with it. And then they look at me and they go, oh, they thought it was Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> oh, God. So it was very funny. So that's yeah. my Lynchian by proxy bizarro story. <laughs> I love that. And uh, the visuals of all of these staff members like swooping in. I don't know. For To me, that's a scene that could have taken place uh, at the hotel in Twin Peaks. I don't know. Um, so. Yes. All right. I'm, I'm glad I asked that question. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's Kyle Hefner. Oh, OK. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, man. OK, so, Kyle, uh, I've got one last question that I'm going to throw to you, and this is really just a space. Uh, this is something that I've been trying to do with all my guests. Um, if there are any projects that you're interested in sharing with us that are things coming up, if you've got any nonprofits or charities that are dear to your heart, any advocacy work, you know, that you're involved in or that you're a fan of, um, if there's anything that you want to, you know, share with the folks listening, uh, this is a great place to do that. Oh, thank you. Um, my, my biggest concern right now is for the unhoused. And I am not doing anything particularly organized yet, um, but I am helping w where I can. Um, if there are food drives or, you know, I'm frequently doling out money on the street and or um, donating where I can and giving where I can. And that's that's a big concern of mine. I'm really concerned for the unhoused. I don't know if L.A. is I mean, if New York is quite what it's like in L.A., but we have a lot of people at risk here and we really need to do something to help these people. So I'm in conversations with a lot of people who are involved in it and I'm helping where and when I can. Fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very important cause. And I appreciate the term unhoused yes. uh, as opposed to, you know, homeless, which has just been the adjective for years and years and years. But I like that it shifts. It it takes away some of the stigma and blame as, as far as I can tell. Yes. And it is something, you know, it's we're all living in this world together. I think it's about taking care of each other as much as it is taking care of ourselves. So I appreciate that very much. It is. And whenever I see people and I've talked to a lot of people, I feel like it could very well have been me mm -hmm. or it could be me. And I, I feel so fortunate that I'm in a dwelling, um, but it could, it may not have gone that way. 
And every day is a blessing because, you know, things can happen. Exactly. Well, Kyle, before I let you go tonight, is there uh, anything else you'd like to uh, to share with the folks listening? No, I, well, I really appreciate all of your fans' interest. And um, I am so lucky that I got to be on this amazing show. And your show, Jesse, amazing, you're a great guy and a great interviewer. Um, I got to be on Seinfeld and I got to be on Curb and do all the stuff I've done. I'm a very lucky guy. And, uh, you know, follow me on all the platforms. I'm Kyle T. Hefner on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I just want to say be kind to each other. I love that. Fantastic words to end on. Uh, well, Kyle, thank you so much. Uh, I just want to say as a, you know, as a, as a TV fan and a Seinfeld fan, 25 years later, I guess it is now, the work that you did, uh, you know, that one week uh, is continuing to pay off in laughs for every, you know, all different age groups, including kids like me who were kids when this first came on. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think I'd be pretty proud of that if I were you, that uh, all of this lives on to this day. Thank you. I've been very lucky, Jesse. Thanks again to Kyle for coming on the show. You can follow Kyle on Twitter and Instagram at Kyle T. Hefner. This week's musical guest is Vaginals, a project created by San Diego musician Maria Cochinita in 1997. On July 4th, Maria will be reissuing her 2006 album Alien Pleasures for its 15th anniversary, and will be releasing an animated music video to tonight's featured track later this summer. Here with the Twin Peaks-inspired Laura's Dream is Vaginals.
Thanks for listening. Subscribe to The Other Side of Darkness so you won't miss the story once it begins this fall. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a positive rating and review on your podcasting app. Follow Sign Peaks on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, or join our Facebook group. Visit our store at signpeaks.threadless.com. 50% of proceeds for the month of June will be donated to New Alternatives, a New York-based organization serving unhoused LGBTQ youth. And if you'd like to support this series, you can visit patreon.com signpeaks to get early access to episodes and exclusive merchandise. Intro theme by Patrick Edwards. Mid-show theme by Ivor Bowens. Outro theme by Robert McDonald. All links mentioned can be found in this episode's show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay master of your domain. The Other Side of Darkness is written, performed, and produced strictly as a work of parody. The Other Side of Darkness is not endorsed by Castle Rock Entertainment, Sony Pictures, NBC, Warner Brothers Records, Rhino Records, Lynch Frost Productions, Twin Peaks Productions, CBS, or Showtime. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Seinfeld, the Seinfeld logo, and all Seinfeld characters, story elements, and intellectual property are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders. The makers of The Other Side of Darkness make no claims directly or indirectly of ownership to any elements held by these trademark and or copyright holders other than original characters, story elements, and other intellectual properties created specifically by the makers of this podcast. Musical elements referencing themes and motifs from the original theme music to Seinfeld and Twin Peaks are created expressly as works of parody and do not imply claims to ownership of said music. 